Well, uh, today we uh, will conclude our summer series on Win the Day. And uh, with that, I trust that this summer series has been good in a way that helps you kind of get in tune with uh, how to, how to uh, grow closer in your relationship with Christ, how to um, identify His leading in your life, and how to uh, respond in obedience as well, too and what that all means. But uh, we're going to conclude today by, by looking at a habit that will help you stress less and, of course, accomplish more. We could use that, couldn't we? Less stress, more accomplishment, definitely. Well, uh, on November 13th, 1946, a single propeller airplane took off from Schenectady County Airport with a rather unique payload, six pounds of dry ice, and a rather unique mission. The pilot was a chemist named Vincent Schaefer, who had been conducting covert experiments at the General Electric Research Laboratory. Using a GE freezer chilled to sub-zero temperatures, Schaefer created clouds using his breath as condensation and seeded those man-made clouds with dry ice. The dry ice catalyzed a, a chemical reaction that uh, caused snow crystals to form in that freezer. Now, a few months later, it was time for a field test, so Schaefer rented the airplane mentioned previously, flew it into a cumulus cloud, and dumped the dry ice. Eyewitnesses on the ground said it was almost like the cloud exploded. The, the following snowfall was visible 40 miles away. The GE monogram had a little fun with Schaefer's benchmark breakthrough, they said, Schaefer made it snow this afternoon over Pittsfield. Next week, he walks on water. <laughs> the science of seeding clouds is a marvel of modern science, but the, the idea is as old as the prophet Elijah. If you have your Bible, you can meet me in 1 Kings chapter 18. Pull out your app or open up your Bible and meet me there. 1 Kings chapter 18. Now, in our quest to win the day, we have buried dead yesterdays and have imagined unborn tomorrows. We've explored six habits, flip the script, kiss the wave, eat the frog, fly the kite, cut the rope, and wind the clock. There's one more habit we must put into practice if we want to stress less and accomplish more, and that is we have to seed the clouds. Seed the clouds. So let me, let me set the scene here for you for 1 Kings chapter 18 before we get into there. Now, it has not rained in Israel for three and a half years. Now, we've had a pretty dry summer, but that's been just a couple of months. <laughs> three and a half years, think January 2020, <laughs> before COVID, if we've had no rain since then. That's where you're at here with this situation. Three and a half years, hasn't rained in Israel. Desperate times call for desperate measures, and that's when and where and why the prophet Elijah climbs to the top of Mount Carmel and seeds the clouds, sort of, seeds the clouds. So in 1 Kings chapter 18, we're going to start with verse 41. It's not going to be on the screen back there, so you're going to have to look in your Bible on this one. So a lot of verses, thought I'd just let you look in your Bible. Starting with verse 41, 1 Kings chapter 18. Elijah said to Ahab, Go get something to eat and drink, for I hear a mighty rainstorm coming. 
So Ahab went off to eat and drink, but Elijah climbed to the top of Mount Carmel, bent down to the ground, and put his face between his knees. Go and look toward the sea, he told his servant, and he went up and looked. There is nothing there, he said. Seven times Elijah said, go back. The seventh time the servant said, I saw a little cloud about the size of a man's hand rising from the sea. So Elijah shouted, go and tell Ahab, hitch up your chariot and go down before the rain stops you. Meanwhile, the sky grew black with clouds, the wind rose, a heavy rain started falling, and Ahab rode off. The power of the Lord came on Elijah, and tucking his cloak into his belt, he ran ahead of Ahab all the way to Jezreel. <laughs> we'll end right there. Now, I don't want to uh, get ahead of ourselves here, but I love that subplot, that last part there. <laughs> We're not sure what route Elijah ran, but it was no less than 17 miles. 17 miles may have been as many as 30 miles, and he beats Ahab's chariot. Can you guys hear chariots of fire kind of playing in your head right now? A song going on? This is long before uh, uh, Pheidippides ran from Marathon to Athens, and Elijah ran from Mount Carmel to Jezreel. Incredible accomplishment. Anyway, so let's dive into this last habit together. Uh, how do you seed the clouds? How do you seed the clouds? Let me make this as simple as one, two, three, real quick. Three points for you, and we'll come back to these three points and unfold these a little bit more. But one, you seed the clouds with prophetic imagination. Two, you seed the clouds with patient persistence. And three, you seed the clouds with bold prayer. So prophetic imagination, patient persistence, and bold prayer. Let's look at the first one, prophetic imagination. Now, more than a half century ago, Dr. Alfred Tomatis was confronted with the most curious case of his 50-year career as an ear, nose, throat doctor, an ENT doctor. A renowned opera singer had lost his ability to hit certain notes, even though those notes were well within his vocal range. He had been to other specialists, all of whom thought it was a vocal problem, but Dr. Tomatis uh, thought otherwise. Using a sonometer, easy for me to say, Dr. Tomatis discovered that the opera singer was producing 140 decibel levels of sound waves at a meter's distance. Now, that's louder than a military jet taking off from an aircraft carrier. Wow. So long story short, the opera singer had been deafened by the sound of his own voice. <laughs> He could no longer hit the notes because he could no longer hear the notes. <laughs> Dr. Tomata said, the voice can only reproduce what the ear can hear. The French Academy of Medicine dubbed it the Tomatis effect, and the ramifications are pretty profound. Being so loud that you deafen yourself. <laughs> Maybe some of you accuse your mom of doing that when she's calling you to come home. But uh, anyway, here's something to consider. All of us have problems. <laughs> All of us have problems. Relational problems. Maybe it's emotional problems. Maybe it's even spiritual problems. And we think those problems are the problem. But I think many, if not most, of those problems are just surface problems. The root cause of our problems is a hearing problem. 
its ears that have, have, have been deafened to the still, small voice of the, of the Holy Spirit. And how is that? Well, one reason, of course, is the white noise of culture. <laughs> we hear it all the time. We are bombarded with news and false news every minute of every hour of every day. We've got online advertisers using clickbait. That's the misleading online headlines in order to attract clicks on a piece of content. <laughs> Toenail fungus? Click this and you'll find an answer to that. <laughs> oh, this lady got caught using this trick at a casino to win money. So you click on those things. You go, what happened? Clickbait. We've got social media algorithms designed to help us in our echo chambers. It's hard for God to get a word in edgewise. But I don't think this is our primary problem. <clears throat> our primary problem is our own self-talk. We are deafened by the sound of our own voice like that opera singer. We talked about it uh, on the first habit, the first Sunday that we did this series, Flip the Script. About 60,000 thoughts fire across our brain every, every day. <clears throat> and according to the Cleveland Clinic, 80% of those thoughts are negative. I've heard it said that, our, that Scripture is our script cure. <laughs> God's Word cures us. So Scripture is our script cure. It's the way we renew our minds in Romans chapter 12. And it's the way we tell ourselves a better story. It's the way we turn up the volume on God's voice. Now, I asked a question a few weeks ago, and it's worth asking again. What percentage of your thoughts, and your words, and your actions are a regurgitation of the news media you watch and the social media you follow? You know, there are algorithms designed to keep you in your echo chamber when you go to those social media sites. The net result is an ear that cannot hear the still small voice of the Holy Spirit. Now, let me flip that script and ask you this question. What percentage of your thoughts and your words and your actions are the re revelation you're getting from God's Word? We've got to be grounded in God's Word. And when we open the Bible, God's, God opens His mouth. And the best way to turn up the volume on that still small voice is a daily Bible reading plan. You're not going to get it from Fox News. <laughs> you're not going to get it from CNN News. And you're definitely not going to have your pastor here tell you from this pulpit what news source to watch or what political leaders support. You're not going to get that from here. I've always told you to be a student of God's Word and, and, and let God's principles guide you. I will elevate God's Word to you and you guys put it into practice. That will guide you through all the different day, all the different things of each day in our culture. So with all that in mind, let's look at verse 41, 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 41. Elijah said to Ahab, go get something to eat and drink, for I hear a mighty rainstorm coming. Now Elijah hears something no one else is even listening for. He hears something that hasn't happened to, to, in more than three years. And how does he do this? Well, Elijah has a prophetic ear. And that's where prophetic imagination starts. Let me give you a definition of that, a, a prophetic imagination. It's seeing the invisible, hearing the inaudible, and believing the impossible. Walter Brueggemann says it this way. The task is reframing so we can re-experience the realities that are right in front of us from a different angle. <laughs> Sometimes it takes the form of supernatural gifts, 
like a word of wisdom or a word of knowledge. Sometimes it takes the form of supernatural solutions, like the spiritual gift of discernment or even healing. And either way, they are God ideas. And I'd rather have one God idea than a thousand good ideas. But how do you get God ideas? Well, it starts with a prophetic ear. An ear that is fine-tuned to the still, small voice of the Holy Spirit. Don was just sharing this morning about how people kind of wondering, do you need to see a doctor? Because what, what you're doing with selling your house and your, your business and moving to Kentucky? What, what, what's all this? So some people think he's kind of crazy. Because he's able to see the invisible, hear the inaudible, and believe the impossible. That's how he lives his life. Wakes up in the morning, okay, God, what do you have for me today? What's going on? That is precisely what's happening here in verse 41. It hasn't rained in three and a half years. His forecast seems foolish. It's going to rain. Oh, yeah, all right. It seems like Elijah's out of touch with reality. There's an old axiom. It says, those who don't hear the music think the dancer is mad. <laughs> those who don't hear the music think the dancer is mad. When you exercise prophetic imagination, it may seem like you're out of touch with reality, but it's because you are in touch with a reality beyond your five senses, things you can taste, touch, see, smell, and feel. May we all get to the point of looking like crazy dancers. <laughs> you, need to see, you need to see the clouds with prophetic imagination. You also see the clouds with patient persistence. Patient persistence. In the first century B.C., there was a drought, not unlike the drought Elijah experienced. It threatened to destroy a generation the generation before Jesus. And there was a man who had an, an Elijah anointing. The people asked him to pray for rain, and he did something curious. He didn't climb Mount Carmel. He took his staff, drew a circle in the sand, and then he knelt inside that circle, and he prayed this prayer. Sovereign Lord, I swear before your great name that I will not leave this circle until you have mercy upon your children. It was a bold prayer, and, and we'll talk about bold prayers in a moment. But according to the Talmud, Honai, the circle maker, was captivated by one phrase and one verse of Scripture. Psalm 126, verse 1. It says, When the Lord brought back the captive to Zion, we were like men who dreamed. Now that phrase, we were like men who dreamed, provoked a question that Honai wrestled with his entire life. Is it possible for a person to dream continuously for 70 years. <laughs> Is it possible? Now, studies that involved repeated observations of the same variables over long periods of time have shown that as we age, here's that phrase again, the cognitive center of gravity tends to shift from the right, bra right brain to the left brain. And this is an oversimplification, but the left brain is the location of logic. The right brain is the location of imagination. And that neurological tendency presents a problem. See, at some point, most of us stop living out of imagination. And we start living out of memory. We stop creating the future and start repeating the past. We stop living by faith and start living by logic. 
That's when we stop living and we start dying. Most people die long before the date on their death certificate, (laughs) but it doesn't have to be that way. Without a vision, the writer of Proverbs said, the people perish. Vision is a preservative. If you have the vision, you're never past your prime. If you have a vision, you never age out. Just consider Caleb. He was as strong at, uh, at 85 as he was at 40. And how was that? Because he had vision. It's an expression of prophetic imagination. But guess what? It takes patient persistence as well. If you want to dream big, you have to, dream, you have to think long. You have to play that long game. And one or two things happens over time. Either memory overtakes imagination or imagination overtakes memory. Imagination is the way we seed the clouds to the third and the fourth generation. And it takes patient persistence. So let me kind of zoom out from this. and Look at verse 44. 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 44. It says, I saw a cloud the size of a man's hand. That's awfully small but that isn't the issue. Remember, don't despise the day of small beginnings. If you do little things like they're big things, God will do big things like they're little things. You have to attempt things that are beyond your ability, beyond your resources, beyond your education and your your experience. That's when and where God shows up and does His thing. As one pastor put it, do things that are twice your size. In other words, stretch your faith. And here's another lesson through all this too. When you, when you are faithful here, you don't always experience the blessing right then and right there. But God will bless you somehow, some way, somewhere. It will happen. It says that Elijah asked his servant to go look for rain seven times. That's not an insignificant number in Scripture. Proverbs 24, 16 says, Though the righteous fall seven times, they rise again. If you, looked that phrase, uh, if you took that phrase seven times and plugged it into a Bible search on your computer, you would be amazed at how many times it pops up. And no, it's not just seven times. <laughs> it's, uh, it, seven is a number of perfection or completion. So it's used literally and figuratively in Scripture. Either way, there are so many sevens in the Bible. Abraham bows to the ground seven times in Genesis 33. The priests consecrate the altar by sprinkling it seven times in Leviticus. The word of the Lord is like silver refined seven times in Psalm Psalm 12. Jesus tells us to forgive not seven times, but 70 times seven. And then there are the Israelites who circled Jericho seven times on the seventh day, found in Joshua chapter 6. Naaman who dips himself in the Jordan River seven times in 2 Kings chapter 4. And of course, Elijah here, who prays for rain seven times in 1 Kings 18. But what if, what if the Israelites had stopped circling after their sixth circle on day six? What if Naaman stopped after six days, the six dips? What if Elijah had quit praying after his sixth attempt? You know the answer. They would have forfeited the miracle right before it happened. They were just so close, just the next moment. Seeding the clouds is all about patient, 
persistence. Consistency beats intensity every time. You keep on keeping on. Jesus said it this way, you ask, you seek, and you knock. Those are present imperative verbs. In other words, you keep asking, you keep seeking, and you keep knocking. It's too soon to quit. Don't give up. It's too soon to give up. You seed the clouds through patient persistence. You also seed the clouds with bold prayer. Now you can see you can see the clouds in a lot in lots of ways, but none are more powerful than prayer. Prayer is a way to write history before it happens. It's the difference between letting things happen and making things happen. The same can be said about faith and hope. See, as Christians, it's our responsibility to plant the seed of faith, and through hope and prayer, we water that seed so that it can grow into what we envision for the future. Now, this simple concept is illustrated with the law of sowing and reaping. The seed you plant today will produce the crop you receive tomorrow. If you plant pumpkin seeds, you will get pumpkins. If you plant carrot seeds, you're going to get carrots. If you plant nothing, you will receive nothing. <laughs> Maybe some weeds, I guess. <laughs> so, but in the same way, the prayers and actions you sow today produce the answers and results you will experience tomorrow. There are prayers and then there are bold prayers. A bold prayer is a prayer that is beyond your ability, it's beyond your resources, and beyond your imagination. In other words, you can't do it. You're praying for something impossible. But a bold prayer is also a prayer that you've prayed a hundred times over and over again. And God has not answered that prayer when or where or how you ask, but you don't feel released from that prayer yet. You keep praying that prayer. When was the last time you found yourself doubled over in prayer? As Elijah was. The posture that Elijah assumes indicates profound humility and extreme intensity. He's not just praying. He's believing God for a miracle. Elizabeth has just shared with us today about that. Believing God will perform a miracle. I have no issue with short blessings before meals because it's nice to eat hot food. <laughs> but there are moments when you need to press in and pray through. You need to seed the clouds with contending prayer. So the prayer list that you pray through daily, how many of them are bold prayers? How many of them are just impossibilities? You almost think it ridiculous to pray the prayer. Got any impossible prayers on your prayer list that you're praying? How many of them are contending prayers? Just contending with the Lord and wanting this to go through. Maybe it's a wayward friend. You're thinking there's no way that person's coming back. But I'll pray. Maybe it's a, a neighbor, a cantankerous neighbor that just hates God, praying for his salvation. <laughs> That's almost impossible. Maybe it's a relative has walked away from the Lord. 
good luck for that person coming back because he's already or she's already knowing what the Lord can do and he, they, they've rejected him. Maybe a political leader. <laughs> there you go. Praying for that person's salvation. Bold prayers. Impossible prayers. I don't know what miracle you're believing God for, but it's too soon to quit. Keep seeding the clouds with faith and hope and love. In 850, uh, 853 B.C., <clears throat> a king named Jehoram assumed the throne of Judah. He's the fifth king of the southern kingdom, and it's 117 years after the death of David. And this is what 2 Kings chapter 8, verse 18 says. He did evil in the eyes of the Lord. He killed his brother so he would get the throne. But that's not the end of the story. It says this also in that verse. Nevertheless, for David's sake, the Lord was not willing to destroy Judah. This is so powerful. David is long gone. This is six kings later, but God has not forgotten His promise. He has not forgotten His people. Folks, God has not forgotten you in the Northwest. God has not forgotten you in Portland. He hears you. He hears your prayers. He is with you. He has not forsaken you. But that's what happens when we seed the clouds. There's no expiration date on love. There's no expiration date on faith. There's no expiration date on prayer. We are beneficiaries of prayers we know nothing about. We harvest fields we did not plant. We drink from wells we did not dig. We live in houses we did not build. We think right here, right now, while God is thinking nations and generations. We think that what God does for us is for us. It's never just for us. It's always for the third and fourth generations down the road. Seeding the clouds is being intentional with what you invest. Think long-term and think eternity. What you do in this life matters, not just for today or tomorrow, but it matters for eternity. Some things you invest your time and energy into will not go far. But when you invest into heavenly things, things for God, these are seeds that will reap a harvest for years and decades and generations to come. You may not always see the harvest yourself. But that does not mean it is not a good seed to plant. Seeding the cloud means to plant what someone else may harvest and benefit from. There's no better time than right now to plant or sow seeds that can grow tomorrow. Too often, we wait until the time is right. And of course, yes, you've got to do that if you're actually planting seeds in a garden. You can't plant them in the wintertime. It doesn't quite work very well. But really, we are just simply procrastinating and delaying what we should be doing today, right now. The problem is that we fall into a trap of thinking we will be happy one day after attaining certain things or accomplishing certain goals, and we think that we will be content to plant seeds. And so at that time, 
The reality is that if we are not content today, we will not be content at that time either. <laughs> there will always be another goal to reach for and another milestone to attain. Life is too short not to enjoy every age and every stage. The best is yet to come, but the grass is not greener on the other side. If you don't enjoy life now, you won't enjoy it then. If you don't enjoy life here, you won't enjoy it there. So today is the day to plant the seeds, to sow what you want to reap and to invest into the future. Seeding the clouds means to have also a sense of urgency. It means not sitting around twiddling our thumbs. It means not letting things happen, but making things happen. And when we recognize what we want to accomplish and we set goals, we should not waste time in doing what needs to be done in order to get the ball rolling. Pounding the pavement pays dividends to the overall goal that we have for our life and towards the calling God has placed on us. Last Sunday, Becky and I were at a, we were at a wedding. And uh, Linda, you can go get Becky right now, actually, if you want. <laughs> we were at a wedding last Sunday, <clears throat> and it was a nice wedding, outdoor wedding. Actually, it was the, the location where um, uh, Maddie and Ivan had actually had initially, and it didn't work out. So I was finally able to see the place. What was it going to be like? It was a beautiful wedding, outdoors in the woods and all that, up in North Plains area. <clears throat> and uh, a lot of different people were invited, and this couple was, they were connected with the school, and they were also connected with churches that we knew as well. So there were a lot of people there we knew. And as we uh, made our way from the... Um, ceremony at the reception time, which is kind of up the hill, and a bunch of tables are set up over there. Um, sitting down, and we were talking with other people. God was just gnawing at me. <laughs> In a good way. You see, about a couple years ago, there was a situation that um, I had with another person, another family, and uh, within the realms of, of the school and all. And it was, it was a difficult time. Words were said about our family. Actions were done. Situations just weren't good. Well, that was a couple of years ago. And during that time, in that moment, I determined that I would forgive that person in my heart. And that was a difficult road forgiving that person, but it still affected me because I really didn't want to go over to the school events much anymore. I didn't want to be there for the different sporting events because that person would be there. And I thought, did I really forgive that person or not? <laughs> I thought, Lord, I think in my heart I did. And so he was just gnawing at my heart saying, you know what, you need to go a step further. You need to see the clouds by setting an example and going and ask forgiveness from that person. I was thinking, Lord, what? <laughs> That's not right. I've already forgiven him. If, if, if he wants to come to me, he can come to me. And that's pretty much how we kind of played it. But God would not let me go. <laughs> you know, and from this pulpit, I've preached forgiveness. You've heard it before. And I said, you've got to obey God. If God's telling you to go to that person, you need to go to that person. Don't delay. <clears throat> so here I am sitting at the table at the reception, 
Becky's with me, and we're talking with other people, and she's talking, but I just cannot get this out of my head. And I'm thinking, okay, all right, well, we kind of do a little deal with, with the Lord. Okay, well, if this happens, then I know that you want me to do this, okay? So, and, and so basically, that person remained in, in, in my sight across the way with his family, and I'm, I'm just like, okay, I can't get away from him now either, and I can't get away from God telling me to go over there. Eventually, we all were up, um, we all got up, they wanted to take a group picture of everyone who was in the reception with a bride and groom. So we all gathered around, everyone was doing that, and I'm still, I'm thinking, God needs me to do this, and I, I don't want to, I don't, do I need to? And so the picture was taken, and once it was done, I thought, okay, 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 I'm going. And so I turned over towards the person, I grabbed his hand, I shook, and I said, we need to talk. And everyone else was going, see, I didn't want to make a big deal about it either. Oh, I'm forgiving him for everything. No. I wanted to make it private and quiet, so I took his hand, shook, and we need, to, we need to talk. And we went the other way as others went towards the direction where the uh, uh, bride and groom were going to have a little send-off. And it was just quick, short, nothing else, just basically letting him know, Will you forgive me? Will you forgive me for the pride and the attitude I've had in the last two years that has affected our relationship? Will you forgive me for not treating you as a creation of God? And as that happened, he turned to me and he said, Well, yeah. Will you forgive me if I've offended you? And I said, Yes, I have, <laughs> and I do. And at that moment, I felt, okay, a couple things. First of all, this is a good thing that I should be doing, and this was what was supposed to happen. And I felt that relationship, beginning of that relationship, then healing, and the process going to get better. But the other thing I thought of, what kind of example am I setting right now? By going to somebody, asking for forgiveness, knowing that I don't really have to, this person doesn't deserve me coming over and doing that in some people's eyes. What kind of example, what kind of clouds am I seeding for those who might have seen that little gathering? And I thought of my kids. I thought of them, about how they know how we've told them, you've got to make it right with people. <laughs> and don't let a day go by. So God affirmed in my heart, good job. Now, get going <laughs> on the relationship, move forward, and keep obeying me. But seeding the clouds, seeking forgiveness is part of that. And I don't know, maybe in your life you might have something specifically maybe in the area of forgiveness. People are watching. And if you speak about God's forgiveness in your heart and then you're not doing it to somebody else, they're seeing that. And you're seeding clouds in their life in the way of seeing bitterness and they're thinking, well, this God that they talk about isn't that great. It doesn't make any difference in their life. Why should I make any decision for Christ in my life then? You're seeding clouds, and not just for that moment. If you go towards that person for forgiveness, you're seeding clouds for the next generations to come. They'll hear the story. Somehow, somehow, they'll hear the story. Becky told me. A couple people were asking her, what was going on with... Uh, 
uh, so-and-so and Jim. <laughs> they saw us. They were supposed to see us. We were supposed to be off. People are watching, and you won't know it. But they'll see you. What are you doing to seed the clouds for generations to come? Or maybe even for the moment, for those people who are watching. What are you doing in seeding that cloud? What seeds are you planting to be able to invest into that future down the line? You talk about Jesus. You talk about different things you should be doing because God's Word says, but are you doing it? Are you living it out? I learned a lesson last Sunday, and uh, I don't intend to delay much anymore when God says do it but I sure want to be sure that it's God saying to do it. (laughs) I don't know what God might be telling you, speaking to you about, but whatever it is, I trust you'll seed through the clouds. You'll seed and win that day and be able to invest into the future, generations to come. Be ready to do that. Be obedient to do that as well. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this day together. and Thank you, Lord, for your message. And I pray, Lord, that you'd help us realize that we, you're given us each day as a gift. And as that gift is given, Lord, that you would continue to remind us <clears throat> that uh, we need to follow you closely. Whatever you tell us to do, we need to do it. And Lord, as we do those things, we're seeding the clouds for the future to come. So, Lord, whatever it is you're speaking to our hearts about, I pray that we would act in obedience, that we wouldn't delay. But, Lord, that if you're asking us, prompting us in some area in our life, help us to respond in obedience. Lord, we thank you for how you've spoken to our hearts today, and I pray, Lord, that we would put that into practice. We would be doers of your word today. Thank you, Lord, for, you, for what you have set out for us this week. And Lord, I pray that uh, you would guide and direct as we do want to be followers of you so closely. We love you, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen.